I'm Ida Tarbell. And I'm Siegel. This is episode two of the Muckraking Podcast. Today's topic is on Edward Snowden. And we have a guest. Hi, I'm Joseph Palladino. I'm a teacher at high school, St. Mary's High School here in Berkeley. Why are you interested in the topic of Snowden? Well, I think, I think for a lot of reasons. I think, let me just start with... Um, Snowden is more than Snowden the person. I think what's the, in a lot of ways it's what Snowden represents. Um, and for me, there's a couple of questions that emerge quickly when, when thinking about Snowden and his actions. One is, you know, what does it mean to be a citizen within a country? And what are the kind of the roles and responsibilities of a citizen? Um, and what is that, re- that person's responsibility to, uh, you know, to holding that uh, government accountable to the truth? All these different kind of larger questions. So. I think when you start, when you think about Snowden, the first thing that comes to my mind is thinking about what does it mean to be a citizen in a country and what's their kind of role and responsibility. The second piece on Snowden that I think is interesting is because it, I think Snowden and what he did and what he represented is so incredibly complex. There's no easy answers. It's not simple. It's not, you know, I think you can't really land on either extreme and then kind of kind of justify it. I feel like there's a lot of nuance and complexity to it. Um, and so, so I think it's it's an interesting kind of intellectual kind of exercise to kind of move through a lot of the complexity of what, what Snowden did and what it represented. Going back to your first point about whether the role of a citizen mm-hmm. in his country, do you think Snowden should have gone through the proper channels, or do you think that would have given him too many restrictions? There's to me again, it's hard to kind of land on a conclusion with that. On one hand. Um, what really pushes my thinking around on that is that he didn't, okay, so let's just say he followed the proper channels, right? This is the argument that people make. Okay, just bring it to 60 Minutes, kind of run it through Congress. You know, his his argument was that he didn't feel that that would be um, effective. He didn't think that that would push the conversation into motion that he thought was needed for people to be kind of discussing this issue and what the government was doing. Um, so it's hard to kind of reconcile what that kind of, whether that's true or not. I do think um, Snowden uh, kind of raises a couple interesting points. One is, you know, w- what should citizens in a country know about covert operations that the government are conducting? Like, what should we know about U.S. surveillance and um, U.S. operations overseas? Like, you know, how much sunshine should the citizens in the country have? Um, and then on the other side, um, you know, what what is... Um, you know, what is our rights as citizens to have privacy and kind of all these different things. So it seems to be it kind of always falls into those two places. Like how much should we know about covert operations and what the government should be doing? So should he have, you know, uh, released the information? Um, it's hard for me to land at a definitive conclusion with that. Um, going off of that, do you think that he was acting as a patriot? Um, again, it's, it's really hard to divine, divine intention um, and what was his intentions. I mean, it seems to me clearly from what I've read about Snowden, what I've listened to Snowden, um, that he believes in his cause. I mean, you know, how can you really divine someone's intentions? I mean, I guess one way you can say is like just kind of look at what the, the person says. And so from and it, it's clear to him that this had incredible implications um, and they were ri- wide-ranging and far-reaching. And um, so was he a patriot? You know, I, I don't know. Again, it, another thing that stumbles me up with Snowden is the argument that people make well, he jeopardized programs overseas. I mean, there was some anecdotal research and some stuff that was questioning some programs like in Pakistan that were jeopardized and some other places. Um, I don't know if that's true or not. So, But I feel like that can be very determinant in a lot of ways. If Snowden released information that did jeopardize covert operations, then we're back to that original question. It's like, what should a citizen of a country know about 
their government surveillance, their covert operations. From what I know, um, how it jeopardized covert operations was, like, obviously the terrorists already knew that the NSA was spying on them, so it wouldn't have affected how their actions. Hmm. It was also the methods that he released, which is probably the main thing. And the third thing is that certain IP addresses of agents, U.S. CIA agents, were also released hmm. without being redacted. Do you think that's and there's a, there's an argument that's that 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 is not Snowden's fault. That's the journalist's yeah. fault. But there's right. also the argument that he did give them that information. He right. did give them the methods. Right. Right. So where does the responsibility land with that on some levels? Um, and I don't know. I mean that that that's also something to kind of give you pause. And I do know when I was watching Four Citizens and when he was talking about this in real time with Glenn Greenwald. I think essentially he's like, he, he, I don't know if it was an abdication of the responsibility, but it's like, once I give you this information, now it's your responsibility for how you want to unpack it, how do you want to kind of give it off to the world. So so there's, I think, a lot of ethical kind of complexity in that kind of decision. Um, so, yeah. Uh, continuing off of that, um, Sinner also made the claim that he sorted through everything that he gave to the journalists when mm -hmm. obviously that's not true. Um, do you think he should have sorted through first, or hmm. do you think, he, you know, even hmm. when giving information to the mm -hmm. journalist, do you think he still had a responsibility to hide hmm. top secret information that did not affect American citizens? Okay, so, so let me just kind of get the, the question clarified. So the first point is, he had all this information, yeah. and you're 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 inferring that he didn't really look it over very carefully. Well, he 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 knew what was in it, but hmm. he didn't read each document. He didn't know right. exactly what was in each one. Right. Because there were, you know, thousands, yeah. a huge amount of data. He couldn't possibly have gone through all of it. So the question is, should he have gone through it um, and been more responsible? Or gone through a certain amount of it and then yeah. given that to the journalists. So he should have maybe, in a sense, selected out what he should should, should not be released. Oh, my gosh, that's such an interesting question. Um, my, I mean, my intuition is saying he should have read through it all on some levels. And... Um, you know, it's interesting. Maybe if he did, let's just say this, this kind of go down one path on this inquiry. He read through it all. He, he looked it over, and he decided, okay, maybe this, you know, 10% of this information should not be released for some for certain reasons. 90% of it should. Um, you know, it raises an interesting question about his intentions, right? I mean, what's is his intentions? I mean, it almost would be it would be easier to assess Snowden's actions if we knew if that was what he did, because on some levels it could be like. Well, you know, he does still have a respect for the role that covert operations um, are, you know, the role of covert operations, and he didn't want to jeopardize those, especially with people on the ground, you know, assets on the ground, whatever sources, whatever it might be. Um, so it almost seems to be it would be more ethical if he did go through it, select it out, and then instead of just like giving it off to Glenn Greenwald and not knowing what was in it. That's just my first intuition on it. Also, a lot of people use that argument against Chelsea Manning, saying mm -hmm. that she did even less looking through than he did, and mm -hmm. therefore she can't actually be a whistleblower. How do you feel about that? Do you think that you can be a whistleblower even if you haven't gone through all the documents? Um, it's, it, I, I just haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it, so I'm just kind of off the cuff here. This is my first kind of take on it. Um, a part of me, uh, <laughs> I mean, there's, a, there's so many kind of parts to that. On one hand, it's like, okay, so a person signs up to be part of the US military, any kind of government's military. And there's certain kind of rights and roles and responsibilities, it's like codes of conduct and everything like that. Uh, and just recognizing that there are 209 countries on this planet, 
each one of those countries has some level of, of sophistication when it comes to surveillance and privacy and you know military unless you're Costa Rica um, and some other places that don't have militaries but the point is that they're, they're trying to protect their country and sovereignty so this is just kind of the rules of the game in a sense right so if you're a military and you join the military you sign up for these certain rules in the engagement um, now I think the one thing is if there's like let's just <laughs> I'm kind of meandering here but let's just go to like Afghanistan for instance um, you know, a documentary came out called The Dirty Wars, and it showed U.S. covert operations that were acting incredibly unethically. I mean, they, were, they had all these relationships with these really shady characters who were doing a lot of immoral things, including some forms of torture and stuff like that. Um, so on one hand, here, I, here we are sitting in, in, in California, and we know that these programs are underway in different parts of the world, um, and these programs are incredibly unethical. I mean, they're doing these things that are really horrifying. So if, say, Chelsea Manning or Edward Snow knew that, then that's something I think like a citizen should know, um, but you know. But on another hand, you know that's that kind of fine kind of borderline between what should be known as a citizen and what should not be known uh, to protect sources and people on the ground. So yeah, okay. that, also, that also gets into who gets to decide what's ethical and what isn't, um, because you might argue mm -hmm. that everything that Snowden released was for that same purpose to determine to show that something wasn't unethical. Mm -hmm. Because uh, it's a pretty subjective term. Yeah, and, and just kind of push that idea around a little bit. I mean, I do think that, for instance, there are people in the world that are, you know, determined to um, wage war against the West, quote unquote, the West. Right? I mean, they want to, you know, push liberal democracies and, and kind of jeopardize them and kind of diminish them. I mean, the classic case, of course, is in what's happening in parts of Europe, right, where some forms of religious extremists and jihadis are infiltrating European cities and capitals and they're, you know, conducting these horrifying atrocities um, because they're waging war against, you know, the, the freedoms and quote-unquote the liberal democracies of the West. So so that's a real threat. And so I th in some levels I feel like, you know, the European Union, the NATO, NATO, United States have military operations to try to curtail that um, because they're trying to protect, you know, the very fabric of a liberal democracy, progressivism, secularism, you know, human rights, um, so in the defense of that, I feel like, you know, these covert operations have to exist in the defense of that larger kind of goal. Um, and so, again, I, I just kind of landing back on this question of what should a citizen of the United States know or any country about what their co the, gov the government's covert operations are doing. Well, I think the core of Snowden's information was that they were spying domestically. They were spying on their own mm -hmm. citizens for no reason and not catching, t or not no reason, but um, for a reason that obviously is not actually catching terrorists or actually is not effective so do you think mm -hmm. should he have sorted out that information and release that see I'm not I, I wish I could speak more definitively on that my understanding was that they were not surveilling they had the capacity to surveil but they weren't actively surveilling so this gets to the question do you trust your government or not um, or any, even the question of like do you um, do you want your government to have that kind of capacity? So, um, what's his name? Hayden, he was a former director of the NSA or part of intelligence, came out with a book afterwards and said that the United States, what people don't realize about the NSA and Snowden was that we do have regulations and laws in place for, for that disallows some of this kind of mass surveillance. Now, this is obviously a hotly debated issue. Um, but for instance, we do have these FISA courts, we have to go get a warrant. And one of the arguments is that um, 
if you wanted to surveil a U.S. citizen, let's just say there's a U.S. citizen in New York that's having a conversation with a known suspected terrorist in, say, Yemen, right? And so um, to get access to that person's phone records, the United States government would have to get a, like a warrant out to be able to kind of surveil them, even though we know they're having a conversation with someone in Yemen. So um, we can go to Yemen and do all sorts of surveillance unbeknownst to the person in Yemen, but when it comes to a U.S. citizen in New York who's having a conversation with somebody in Yemen, we still have to go through these kind of official channels to get a warrant. So some people will say, and some people have argued, that that's even a hindrance to kind of waging this larger war on these groups that are out to hurt people in the West. So so I don't know. I, I, again, I don't know if I, I just don't, I want to claim a little bit of ignorance. I don't know the levels of NSA surveillance. I don't know how much they were actually, what, what they actually were doing. And I don't think anybody really does, besides the people yeah. who are doing it. Right. Um, also, we're going to have um, an episode or a mini-episode soon where we'll talk more about the definition of terrorism and what we consider to be terrorism and the issues with that uh, idea and term. Yeah. Because <laughs> we uh, have opinions. I'd love to hear them. Well, uh, watch out for our episode. <laughs> um, do you think... Well, I think one thing you brought up was that certain regulations were on the NSA, mm -hmm. such as the FISA courts. But I think we both know that the FISA courts were not doing they were much. Very, yeah. You know, they they kind of let the NSA do whatever they wanted. They mm -hmm. kind of approved anything. Yeah. So, do you think that they just put up these like false regulations, mm -hmm. these fake ones, to kind of deter people from that criticism? You know, um, well, first of all, I think if we take a step back and look at like the 209 countries on the planet, right? I mean, let's just throw a, a different example and say we're living in uh, North Korea or living in China or living in Iran, some of these other countries that don't even have any semblance of a rule of law. I mean, they just, they can surveil their citizens. They can throw people in prison without any justification. They can conduct, you know, torture. Um, we don't have that in the United States. I mean, we have at least a semblance of a system. Now, is the FISA court system perfect? Probably not. Should there be more sunshine on what's happening inside the FISA courts? Perhaps. But I still think on some levels in the United States, even though there's a lot of problems with it, there are certain levels of um, rights for uh, the, uh, uh, the citizens have to not just get thrown into a prison someday and just can be tortured to get information out. So taking a step back and saying, okay, we're not perfect here in the States. Uh, and the FISA, of course, raises a lot of interesting kind of complex questions. Um, I think in comparison to other countries, perhaps it's a little bit better, but I don't know. Um, I'm not saying that we do have necessarily the, like, the amount of ungoverned just arresting and things like that. That was an interesting sentence. Um, it's not the same as it would be in a place like you were talking about, mm -hmm. but do you think that having this semblance of a system creates apathy and people just say, oh, well, the government will take care of it, so we don't have to worry about that? Yeah, I think that's actually really a good question and, and important to to recognize that, you know, I think in a free society, you have to hold your government accountable. I mean, you have to ask, ask questions. Um, you have to openly challenge different kind of, uh, you know, laws and regulations, especially if they're moving to side onto the far of, on, on the side of, um, you know, security uh, at all costs and stuff like that. I mean, I think we're seeing that right now play out in, the, you know, uh, in this in this new administration that these questions are starting to be raised in different ways. And we've seen that in Russia where they say, yeah. you know, look at the United States, they're bad too. We're not that bad. 
And I think that's what Obama made the argument. He's like, people around the world are looking to the United States because the United States is respected in terms of its rule of law. I mean, that, I mean, I haven't been to Haiti and traveled around the world a little bit when you can just see how some governments are just incredibly dysfunctional. I mean, I love Haiti and the Haitians, but I mean, the government is not serving the people at all. And, um, you know, the United States, while not perfect, um, you know, we do have a semblance of a rule of law, which kind of most people just intuitively kind of respect. I mean, look at what happened with the, the Muslim ban that happened three weeks ago, right? I mean, um, it was implemented as an executive order, and then the courts had the final say. You know, the courts yeah. came in, and so there, there is kind of a symbol of like I think the rule of law. Um, hopefully, is something that's in pretty, you know, uh, hopefully remains stable in the United States. Um, it's also, I guess, the courts having to do with the system of like checks and balances on all the different branches of our government. Uh, the press has also been talked about as sort of an unofficial fourth branch to mm -hmm. check all the other branches. Um, how do you think that relates to the current uh, political climate? Ooh, that's a big question. I, you know, it's hard. It's on. on um, it's, it feels like it's just like a hurricane has moved through the country in terms of questions around uh, sourcing and leaks and journalism and this full frontal assault from this administration against what they're deeming to be fake news and this kind of form of propaganda. Uh, it just seems to be we're moving into this really kind of cloudy, muddy space where everything is kind of labeled as a political kind of agenda, right? So, you know, some news article comes out in the Washington Post alleging that, you know, yesterday Jeff Sessions, our attorney general, is having uh, conversations with the ambassador of Russia during the campaign. And so this is now, it's the New York Times gets a hold of it, the Washington Post gets a hold of it, um, and it's becomes the, you know, the 24-hour news cycle conversation of the day. And then everybody starts responding to it. Of course, the administration said this is just the Democrats are sore losers and they're not. So it just feels like with this this new situation we're in with mass media and Twitter and instant news and breaking news every four hours, it's it, it, what's being lost, I think, on some levels is, you know, trust in journalists, trust in the facts, trust in evidence. I mean, all these things that are a bedrock for good policy and good kind of open free society I think these things it's becoming hard to kind of determine what's what's true and what's not in some ways do you think in light of that um that even though all journalism is inherently biased in some way there's still definitely value in biased journalism um as long as it's not it's not you know completely untrue um it's hard to think about that off the cuff so well i when 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 everything becomes biased journalism right I mean when it when somebody in a, in a room somewhere in the Berkeley Hills can start a website and start publishing all these articles and nobody really knows who's writing these articles but it becomes determined as being well this person appears to be smart and they have this information um, but none of it's really fact-checked or none of it's really kind of back source or all these different things I think there's a danger with if, if the news that we're reading People just say, well, you know, it's just a free-for-all. It's just partisan kind of ideology that's kind of, kind of moving around. So I think this is a question that we need to th start thinking about moving forward is how do we determine what's true, authentic, fact-based, you know, evidence-based uh, uh, journalism? Well, um, take something yeah. that's a little bit more toward the center, like, say, NPR or right. um, the Washington Post, right. which are reputable journalism sources, but... People definitely accuse them of being liberally biased, mm -hmm. um, and I mean those are my sources of news because I have a liberal bias. Yeah. But do you think that that gets in the way of their effectiveness? 
I think for a lot of people, yeah. I mean, the more, I mean, this is why we need, I, I don't even know how you would kind of uh, uh, um, address this issue, but I mean, is there a way, I mean, there are these these groups that are like politifactor, you know, these media matters. I mean, there's these groups out there that, you know, proclaim to be kind of objective and kind of seeing what's being said on both sides, whether they're true or not. I mean, after a debate, a presidential debate, you have these groups coming like, this is the 23 lies of Donald Trump, here are the 15 lies of Hillary Clinton. But it seems to be that nobody really looks at that closely enough. It's just, it, it happens and then it kind of quickly retreats into the, you know, the, the partisan bickering that you see on all these news channels. So um, I did see, I, I think some people were working on this. I saw like a chart of which news agencies, generally speaking, are a little bit more closely aligned with, uh, and I don't know if this was a perception or actually it was true that their journalism was actually more accurate and facts-based, uh, but some of the groups, like you mentioned, like the Washington Post, New York Times, The Atlantic, you know, some of they kind of fall into kind of the middle territory, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to like on the left, you have like the Huffington Post or the Daily Coast or um, or Talking Points Memo, but then the, on the right, of course, you have Breitbart and Fox and all these other groups. So. Um, I think there's a lot of intuition in sense, like what's what's in the middle and what's on the on the fringes. Um, but I think it'd be great to have more like you know fact based analysis and what's what's actually you know true about those those perceptions. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I guess we kind of got off topic. Yeah. Do you have um, some questions that are more on topic? See. Um, should we talk about the future of Snowden? And I think there's mm, been recent yeah. discussion about mm-hmm. Russia considering handing him over to Trump. Well, I think the argument on one side would be, you know, Snowden should just, <laughs> I mean, this is an argument, I wonder how you guys feel about this, that some people say, well, look, Snowden, if he believes in liberal democracies and the rule of law and transparency and openness, that he should come back and, you know, face, face, uh, you know, whatever, whatever's coming at him in the, in the rule, in the courts. I think this is what Obama has said. I think this is what others have said. Um, Basically arguing like, you know, he should just face face the music in a sense, if you want to just use a cliche. Come back to the United States, argue his, his, um, his case in front of a, a, a court of law and, and, kind of, and just accept the results. How do you guys feel about that? Well, I think the law is built against Snowden in that um, I think Obama, the, he, he cites these certain protections like the um, Whistleblower Protection Enhancement Act, which, um, which was supposed to protect contractors. However... It, and also is supposed to apply to intelligence agencies. However, it did not apply to um, the NSA, who was specifically excluded, and also Presidential Policy Directive 19, also only explicitly protects federal workers, and again, he's a contractor. And um, he's also charged with the Espion- Espionage Act of mm-hmm. 1917, which, um, which in history, people such as Chelsea Manning have not been able to argue their intentions. They've just been They've just been um, dismissed as, oh, you released top secret information, therefore, you know, it's espionage without, you know, citing the whistleblower aspect of that. Do you think, I, or um, I think a trial against mm-hmm. Snowden would be just the laws built in such a way that it would mm-hmm. be unfair? Yeah. I mean, I can't speak to, I, I just don't know the court cases and the case studying case law and those, those kind of so I don't know what would happen with if he came back. I mean, that, it seems to be the argument as well. There's no point, right? There's no point for him to come back because he'll inevitably just kind of be thrown into prison. So, so what are the chances of Snowden in the future? I mean, I, I'm going to make I think probably um, what I'm thinking is an accurate claim that I don't think Trump's going to pardon him anytime soon. Uh, I think the last chance maybe was under you know uh, even Obama at the end decided not to for uh, you know he didn't really share his reasons I don't think but. 
So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if Snowden. I mean, what was the, what was the reports recently that it was as a gift to Trump <laughs> that they were going to send Tr- uh, Snowden back to the United States? I think that's yeah a report that I read somewhere. So. Putin has denied that, but some of Putin's aides, I think, were the ones that said that. I think one argument is that right now, since Russia and Trump are on pretty good terms, um, Russia's going to wait for now until a time where maybe they do need something something from Trump, and he would be used in some kind of trade or some kind of deal. Right. I think that may be a more realistic option to, if Snowden ever had to come back to the U.S., he right. would be... It would be under that situation. There was uh, an episode of Fresh Air uh, recently, I think it was yesterday or something, about how Russia's relationship with the United States and how it's changing recently. I think in the past week or so, uh, the order to all of their news outlets, which are all really monitored and kind of controlled by the government, um, how they've recently been ordered to be less praising of Trump and to, and to sort of calm down on the whole we love Trump thing. Um, so it's interesting to see where Putin's going to go with that. Yeah, I've heard interesting arguments on both sides of like the, the Russia. There's a group of people, uh, I think they're called the East-West Alliance folks, and there's some former senators, like Chuck Hagel, and, and uh, they've been saying basically everything that's come out of Washington, everything that's come out of the mass media, more mass media, is just this kind of Cold War, old-thinking rhetoric about this kind of battle between Russia and the United States. And... There's some people saying, just ignore all that. What we really should be doing is actually kind of looking at what Trump is saying because it's better to have good relations with Russia as opposed to falling back into this kind of conflict Cold War mentality. Um, you know, but of course that's that pushes some intuitions around. I mean, there's the you know, there's people on the right, McCain and Lindsey Graham and all these others saying that, you know, Putin's a killer and he wants to destroy Europe and he wants to take out NATO and he wants to you know, he's already annexed Crimea and he wants to do all these things and you know, he sees the, you know, the falling of the Soviet Union as a, as a as a terrible event, and he wants to, you know, he wants to build up his power again. So, it's it's a complex issue to kind of sort through. How do you feel about WikiLeaks in general, like just as a website, as like a concept and a mentality? You know, I, I don't know, and uh, for a lot of people in this last election, WikiLeaks. So I've heard a lot of intelligent people get up and say basically that Russia and WikiLeaks were in cohort, co- you know, in relationship with each other. Um, that Russia was funneling information through WikiLeaks to affect the United States election. So I, I'm, I would love to see some information and some research and some uh, an investigation on that. Um, uh, so ideally, if you could kind of paint this picture, should there be an independent uh, information center that kind of provides you know, this information to the world that doesn't have um, any kind of partisanship or bias. I think if you can paint that picture, that might be a good one. But but I question whether WikiLeaks does not have a kind of a, an agenda or an ideology. Julian Assange certainly does. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I just don't know enough, enough about, you know, what they do and their works and who their sources are and who they're connected with and stuff like that. Um, so you're saying that you don't think that the fact that they are leaking things is inherently no. good or bad and it just depends on the context? Well, it depends on what they're, I think on some levels, yeah, context, also agenda. I, mm-hmm. It's funny, I had this long debate with somebody on uh, social media um, who is conservative. And um, everything that was coming out of the United States government, all the intelligence and all this reporting that's going to leak to the New York Times and Washington Post about Russia's kind of cyber attack against the United States and, its, and during the elections, 
Uh, there was so much mistrust from people on the right. They were saying, I don't trust anything that comes out of the United States intelligence. None of it. But I do trust WikiLeaks. <laughs> and I was like, what, what, what? It, it was so interesting to me that we, it was almost entering into this kind of surreal reality where conservatives, you know, the party of patriotism and strong national defense was discrediting the United States government and their intelligence capabilities and siding with, with, these, with WikiLeaks. Uh, I found that incredibly fascinating, but it's almost like the whole narrative has been changed around in terms of how we think about, you know, ideology and partisanship, especially on the right. But um, so I, I don't know. I, I guess if we were to say, which do you trust more, the United States government, you know, or WikiLeaks? I mean, my intuitions um, go back to this one question, which is what does it mean to be a citizen of a country? I mean, you know, we you know live in the United States. We have this government that's, you know, um, working supposedly to protect us on some level. So, um, I, I mean, I, you, it, to believe that the United States intelligence is, you know, that they're lying. I mean, your fir- if your first impulse is that the United States government and the intelligence are lying, and I'm going to go look for proof to kind of support that claim, you know, I, th- I think that's an interesting way of going about it instead of saying, okay, this is what the, the intelligence is saying. Now let's see if they can back it up with the kind of evidence and support it. I guess I'm more comfortable with the latter approach than the kind of the first approach. Um, which leads me to a conclusion that I think I'm more intuitively trusting of the United States intelligence ca- capacity than WikiLeaks. Right, because you could find evidence to back up any claim you wanted to uh, feel that they were telling the truth or that they were lying, and it doesn't really matter without the context. Right. Um, off of what you were saying, do you think, what do you think the role of a government is? Do you think their role mm-hmm. is to protect their citizens above all others and to promote? the national interest or it's to pr- promote the interest of humanity in general or what do you think the, the role of the government is? Well in, a, well, in a perfect world, the latter. I mean, I think we have these incredible existential risks on the horizon. We have climate change. You know, in my class we talk a lot about artificial intelligence. We have these questions around nuclear proliferation. You know, these are f- issues that need worldwide cooperation. I mean, you, know, you need governments to come together. And we've seen some some growth in that area with climate change and the Paris agreements. But um, so ideally, I would love for world governments to be able to kind of cooperate. But I think the pragmatic side to me suggests that you know kind of sees that you know most nations are acting for the best of their their country and their people and stuff like that. So um, so I think it's just kind of striking that fine balance between you know uh, you know where do my interests end and where do the world you know the interests of the world kind of begin, like how you kind of navigate that kind of that complexity around that. Do you think the U.S. government is prioritizing the interests of the government over the interests of the people? <laughs> um, I, you know, in what way? Like in, 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 in the, um, you mean in terms of like foreign policy or? In terms of, well, foreign po- policy and surveillance. <sighs> you know, I, I just, I, part of me feels... Again, back to this question about WikiLeaks and the U.S. government and its intelligence. I, I do, I want to trust that people who go into civil service, that go into government, even despite the fact that we see just incredible partisanship on both sides in Washington, but I think the intention is to go into service to, because you want to do a public good. You want to do right for your, the people in your communities or the, you know. So I think that that's real. Um, and so, you know, I think, and, and this gets kind of, this is where I kind of, this is the one place where I, I land. Um, in talking about threats and you know these conflicts around the world, I mean I do think that there is um, these groups. I mean we have ISIS and we have Al Qaeda. These groups that are um, 
you know, they're hell-bent on destruction. I mean, if you're, if you're a non-Muslim, or even if you're a Muslim that's not practicing their religion, then they don't think you should be alive. I mean, they, they think the justification uh, for their violence is that they're, they're doing, you know, the will of Allah. And, and I think that's incredibly threatening to uh, liberal ideals, secularism, progressivism, the rights of women, the rights of um, all people. Um, and so these groups are thre a threat to those 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 societies. And so, I think um, I think there, there's, there's there's in some cases the justification for the defense of those ideals. So the question is more: Should the NSA be allowed to violate civil liberties in the name of the greater good? Well, th well, this has been again. We're back to the original kind of tension between how much sunshine should we have on covert operations and. And I just don't know if there's a clean answer to that. Um, uh, I just think there's so much complexity in there. And so I don't, I don't know if there's a, there's a body of rules or a body of laws that say this is what, this is what you, know, uh, you know, all people should know about these covert operations. I, I just don't know. How, I don't know. That's too much complexity for me. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly a precedent of the government uh, suspending civil liberties in times of mm. conflict or perceived conflict. Um, and often, in retrospect, we look back on that and we say, that was a little bit messed up. Um, do you think that's going to happen in the future about what's happening right now? Oh, that's hard to say. I, I don't know. I, 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 I don't think so. I mean, I, I, you know, David Frum wrote a great article. Uh, he's conservative. He worked for the Bush administration about, you know, the steps of society goes on the path towards totalitarianism or an autocracy. And he says, you know, these are some of the signs that you got to look for. And... You know, one of them is, um, you know, blind partisanship. I mean, you know, if, if, if that's one of the things to look for, I mean, we're kind of seeing that cl clearly right now. Um, but also, I, I go back to this question of just the kind of the rule of law. And, I, and um, I think the signs so far, even though there's a lot of problems that we're seeing unfold right now, but again, I'll go back to this Muslim ban, quote unquote, that, you know, was enacted, it was, it was put into place, it was led to chaos for two weeks, and People jumped on the streets and, you know, marched and protested. And ultimately, a court in San Francisco found that it was, you know, unconstitutional. So, and then it's it's been over. I mean, for two weeks, nobody's talking about it. So, so in that case, if you just kind of take a step back saying, like, here we go. The, the rule of law in that case won out. So, so in these hypothetical situations where, you know, these civil liberties would be suspended in the service of these larger kind of government programs, um, I guess we'll kind of. I guess I'm just in a kind of a wait and see approach, but I do have this core belief that the rule of law went out. I guess. But if we look back at the past, yeah, things like McCarthyism, they were <laughs> looking at it now. We see it as a huge overreaction, of, mm -hmm. you know, from paranoia and fear, mm -hmm. and in the kind of state we are now, and mm -hmm. this kind of you know fear of terrorism, para paranoia about Muslims. Do you mm -hmm. think that kind of logic is applying now? And connecting that to yeah. Snowden, like. Our right to privacy is suspended under the Patriot Act, for example, mm -hmm. um, saying that, like, sim similarly to McCarthyism. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's something that citizens should be very mindful of and be very, you know, kind of watch out for. But I do have hope. I mean, I, you know, after the election, the day after the election, there was three and a half million people on the streets for, you know, the Women's March, which was incredibly inspiring. I mean, I don't think there's anything like that in human history. I mean, in the U.S. history, it's something that on that large of a... So I do believe that people are paying attention, and um, people protested again of this of this this Muslim ban, and that kind of pressure, the people pressure, kind of exerted itself into Washington, and 
I think it definitely affected people's decisions. And um, so again, I think uh, I guess we'll. Uh, I'm cautiously optimistic that we're not going to go down that path again, but but I think there should be vigilance and people paying attention clearly. Uh, just to clarify, the Women's March was the day after the inauguration, not the election. Do you have any last thoughts that you want to, um, you know, that you've... Yeah, I, 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 well, first of all, I just want to say thank you. This has been quite interesting. Um, in, in real time, I feel like I kind of perhaps was not as clear in some of my, some of my thoughts, but, um, but I think these are incredibly complex questions and complex issues. And um, I, I will say I, I would be interested to hear your thoughts on, on definitions of terrorism. And Yeah, so we will have an upcoming episode at some point on definitions of terrorism next our next episode after this one c will be interviewing someone about quantum computers and it won't necessarily be as political as our first two podcasts but it will be there will be references to its applications in today's society um check us out on twitter at the muckraking and the muckraking.wordpress.com as well as on itunes where our podcast our podcast is published i'm ida tarbell eagle And this has been The Muckraking.